Okay, well, are you ready? We're in Galatians 2 today. The, uh, all right, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat. So, there's these um, golf and sport psychologists that studied choking, and not choking like, but choking like messing up. And uh, they found out that whenever people thought about what they were doing, they were more likely to choke. So if a golf player is up for his best shot of his whole life, and he just walks up there and doesn't think about it, and he hits it, he's more likely to hit it in than if while he walks up, he thinks, I better get this right. This is the most important golf shot of my life. And that if he thinks that, he will statistically most likely miss the shot because he's thinking about it. All right? It's just a weird thing about messing up. I think this is the most important sermon I've ever preached in my entire life. (laughs) So I would probably choke. (laughs) And that will help prove the truth of the importance of the sermon. Does that make any sense? So I will leave today. We'll get in the car and I'll be like, oh, I just, I didn't say, I didn't, I missed, I didn't express. And that's all right. That is half, that's about 90% of the point. So we're in Galatians. Why in the world are we in Galatians? I tell my buddies I'm preaching through Galatians. They say, I thought you were in Acts. I said, you can't read Acts without reading Galatians. You can't get past Acts 15 without taking a road trip through Galatians. For a little while this week, I thought, oh my gosh, we can't read Galatians without taking a road trip through Romans. But I got control of the ADD, and we got back on Galatians. And I think we're going to stay in Galatians, so we're, we're okay. So Paul has been preaching to the Gentiles. He went all, we don't even know how many hundreds of people he preached to. They went to Cyprus, like you can see it on a map. It's a whole island in the Mediterranean Sea. They went all the way around Cyprus, this whole island. They got promoted to speak to the governor of the whole island. And it's not like Hawaiian island. It's like, it's big. They got escorted up into Asia, which is modern day Turkey. They went all over up there, city to city to city, preaching in the synagogues. Now, a synagogue by definition, is about 12 Jewish men. And if you have 12 Jewish men, you can have a synagogue. Some people say seven. Some people say ten. But there were a lot more at all these synagogues that they preached at. And they preached that Jesus Christ was sent by God. He's the sent Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And that he came and died as a sacrifice for your sins, rose from the dead, and has now freed you from everything that the law of Moses could not free you from. That was their message. And so when Paul comes, Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch, and they tell all the people in Antioch, this happened. Yeah! And it's a huge party. The Gentiles are believing. God, the God of the nations... When, when Isaiah prophesied that God would extend his tent posts 
beyond Israel, extend his tent posts beyond the Jewish people. This is being fulfilled. The tent of God, the body of Christ, is being extended. Stuff that Isaiah prophesied before the Babylonian captivity is fulfilled in Jesus. And they all start cheering. But there's this other crew that's like, well, yeah, but you have to be Jewish. You have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. And so you have to follow this law, and you have to follow this law, and you have to follow this law, and, and you can't cut the hair on the side of your heads, uh, sides, of, sides of your head, and you've got to do you know, rule, 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 rule. And so the argument came up of what rules do you have to follow to be a Christian? And so Paul and Barnabas and a whole delegation from Antioch go up to Jerusalem and they meet with James, the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. They meet with Peter. They just get this whole council together. And they all discuss and talk, and this is all in Acts 15. And they, they decide, you know what? You don't have to become Jewish. God has poured His Holy Spirit out on all kinds of people that did not stop. They detoured around the the Jewish part and they came straight to Jesus and they're saved. And so we're not going to put the burden of 613 laws from the laws of Moses on them. They're free. Then Paul, Barnabas, and their whole delegation go back to Antioch And Galatians 2.11 happens. So it happened. It was all done. After that, Paul writes this letter. And he's writing it to the Galatians to tell them, Look, you do not have to follow the law of Moses. You are free from the law of Moses. You do not have to become Jewish. Do not believe anybody that comes to your church. That's what he's saying to them. Don't believe anybody that comes and tells you that you have to do this. Sometimes this has worked its way in with the phrase that you're saved by grace and you're kept by works. You're saved by grace and your salvation, you keep your salvation by doing X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, A, B, C. So here's what happened. Galatians 2.11 When Cephas came to Antioch this is Peter I opposed him to his face What? Wow Conflict Because he stood condemned For before certain men came from James He was eating with the Gentiles So Peter came Came to Antioch And he was eating with the Gentiles. Remember, we just talked about how important it is to eat with somebody. You're showing all kinds of approval. Peter would eat with the Gentiles. Uh, Jewish people, there was a prayer that a Jewish man would pray every day. And he would say, thank you, Lord, that I am not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That was their Thanksgiving prayer every day. We'll save the commentary on on, uh, women for another day, but that needs to be had probably. We'll save the slave or free conversation for another day. These guys hated Gentiles so bad. Just 
not as bad as Samaritans, but bad. Like, like you wouldn't eat off their food. You wouldn't go in their house. If there was a whole city of nothing but Gentiles, you wouldn't even go in their city. Because what if some of that dirty Gentile dust got on the bottom of your feet and you took it back to the Holy Land with you and you desecrate the whole Holy Land with the Gentile dust from your feet? That's why the whole shake the dust from your feet was a thing. When you would, you would leave, they would, they would knock the dust off their feet to show just how despicable and how much they hate you. I just don't even want the dust from my house to be on you. And now, and that's, oh. But here's Peter eating with the Gentiles. Yes. Maybe even Samaritans in this crowd. And then certain men came from James. James was really Jewish, you guys. He, he had all the Jewish traditions. When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the people that were really hardcore Jewish. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas separated the tables, separated the dishes. Uh, you guys, I, you don't eat off of those plates. You eat off of these. We save these plates for the Jewish people. We save, there's a chance that some bacon might have gotten on that fork, which means we have to burn it. These guys don't eat bacon. We're going to keep it separate. We're going to sit separately. Paul has been all over Cyprus. He has been all over a big section of Turkey. Remember, he got stoned and was left for dead because of the message that Jesus died for your sins and freed you from everything that the law of Moses could not free you from. This guy loves Jesus and loves what Jesus has done. When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them. Can you just picture, remember, one of the best ways of Bible study is just picture it all really happening. They're all eating. You've got these notable, I mean, these people were with Jesus face to face. Peter got his feet washed by Jesus. He was there. And they all come to eat together and they separate their tables And Paul says to Peter's face in front of all of them. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you, Peter, even though you live like a godless, unreligious Harley-Davidson biker punk, whatever, force all the Gentiles to live like some holy roller when you yourself don't even live like a holy roller. He says that in front of all of them. It doesn't even go on to say what happened. That's all, that's where it stops. Why is this story in here? What in the world? Remember earlier in Galatians, people were accusing Paul. They were saying, he's not even a real apostle. 
He wasn't even around Jesus. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's just saying stuff to make people like him. Paul is saying, okay, look, I'm not just saying stuff to make people like me. I'm telling the truth. I'm just standing up for the truth so much that in a crowd of people where everybody was on Apostle Peter's side, I stood up and accused Peter to his face of doing wrong. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is real. I'm not just saying this to make you like me. This is true. And I'm standing up for what is true, not standing up for what will make people like me. Well, we know from Acts that that was, that was an issue, that was a thing, but they resolved it. Later on in the New Testament, you're going to read 1 Peter. Maybe we should go study 1 Peter. No, not to. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, and he writes honorable good things about Paul. And about how Paul's letters are confusing to some people, but you should try to understand them because there's good stuff in there. Isn't that awesome? It's like a book review in the book. But Peter wrote that after these events. So we read this and we might be like, dang, Paul was like getting in his face and yelling at him and accusing him and shouting. And it was church conflict and even Barnabas was led astray. Somehow they worked it out. It all, it all worked out and they're honoring each other. Wow. There's a big lesson for us, right? Here we have in the early church conflict, people disagreeing with each other. People disagreeing with each other so much that they're standing up in a crowd of people. They're just trying to eat dinner and they're shouting at each other. And even Barnabas, he says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I mean, you think Paul and Barnabas, these guys, they went to jail together. They traveled all over Cyprus together. And they still worked it out, even though they had this conflict. So, Paul puts this in here because he's trying to say, here's what the truth is. Whether you agree with it, whether it makes you like me or not, that's immaterial. The truth is that Jesus died for your sins, freed you from everything that the law couldn't free you from, and now you are free from the law. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Paul says. Okay, the funny thing is, like, if you say, what's Gentile mean? And you look it up and it's everybody that's not Jewish. Yeah, it doesn't cut it. And, I mean... I know most of you guys are pretty, um, you're pretty gracious and you're pretty kind and you're pretty caring. So think about a friend of yours that might be less so (laughs) that would just call somebody, you know, trash. Oh, that person's just good for nothing. Oh, that person's just awful. That's what Gentiles meant to the Jews. To the Jewish people in this time, the the word Gentile was like, does your mother know you talk like that and you just said the word Gentile? I mean, it's, it's bad. Gentiles are bad. They don't like them. And so Paul, he says, we are Jews by birth. You know where I came from, you guys. That's what Paul is saying. We're not Gentile sinners. We're not unchurched. We're not lost. We're not pagans. But we know... 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. All the works of the law, none of that made you worthy and right before God. So justified, you know, um, sometimes it's not a word that we use a whole lot, but it'll come up when, when somebody does something and then somebody does something back. And you think, was he justified in doing that? Well, yeah, because he had it coming to him, right? You know, I think the guy had it coming to him. That is justified. It was was right and just and correct for that to happen, right? If I I say, hey, I'm going to climb up this greased pole. And I go outside and there's this big metal pole and Jim got there ahead of me and he greased the whole thing with Crisco and I try to climb up it and I fall down and I hurt myself. That takes, makes total sense that I would get hurt trying to climb a greased pole, right? That's just stupid. So justified, while it sounds like this religious term, it's just like the normal event of something. Does that make sense? If, um, if Isaac asks to borrow the keys to the minivan and he goes out and he does donuts, he's doing donuts, reverse donuts in the Civic Center parking lot and he wrecks the van. And I say, dude, you got it. We have to use your car to get to church. This didn't happen, by the way. We drove our van to church. I would be justified in asking to use his car because he just wrecked my van. It just makes sense. So... Put that in where this religious word is. A person is not, doesn't make sense to God by the works of their law, by, by their deeds. A person, a person can't go stand before God and, and be represented before him and stand there and, and look at him because of their, they did a bunch of works of the law. But only through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's say it another way. If you can't go stand before God and appear before Him by your deeds, but only because of faith in Jesus Christ, then that means that because of faith in Jesus Christ, we can go stand before God. No matter what our deeds no matter what sins we have committed. There is this awful lie from hell that the devil speaks himself. And we hear it in the voices of all kinds of people that you're only forgiven the sins that you confess. Oh, you must have unconfessed sin. Like Jesus on the cross dying for me only died for the ones that I could remember to put in a list and give to him. Jesus is not limited by my memory. Jesus is not limited by my ability to recall all of the sins I committed. And then look at the teachings of Jesus. When he told people, you are forgiven, go in peace, Did they repeat to him a list of all of their sins? 
No, they didn't. What did they do? They believed. So, we know that a person can't go stand before God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And flip it, and it's still true. We know that through faith in Jesus Christ, anybody, no matter their sin, can go stand before God. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He says this over and over. He says it like four times in this one sentence. He says it backwards and forwards, front and back. You are not justified by works of the law. Okay. So how do we make this real? Because I know none of you feel guilty for mixing cotton and wool today. But that's a violation of the law. And we probably don't have, I mean, I don't know, some of you guys are weird. You don't have scriptures written on your wrists and you don't have it tied onto your head. Just checking. I have made in China and mission written on my glasses, but no scripture. No, you just violated another law. I say that and it sounds a little ridiculous, right? But James... Yes, James would write later that if you break one law, you have broken all of them. And so it is hopeless to live by the law. Look at that. So even James came around. It is by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. It is by faith in Christ. We are saved by faith. Guess what? If you are saved, you are saved. You are rescued. If you didn't do anything to earn it, it is also true that you can't do anything to lose it. So in Hebrews, it talks about what if people who've tasted turn their backs on it and flee? And that is a problem section. And that is a problem verse. And I, I can't address all of that today, but it is, it is a little curious. But the wealth of Scripture outside of that says so many things about people that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, it says in Ephesians. It says earlier in Ephesians that You were put in Christ and you were seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus when you believed. All past tense. You are already there. In the crazy cosmic world outside of time where time doesn't matter and forever is forever and right now and and all that weirdness. You're already there in Christ. And so is everyone that's ever going to get saved. Like, just people talk about when they go to heaven, they can't wait to see so-and-so. Just to blow your mind a little bit. When you get to heaven, you're also going to see your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren who have entered the kingdom of heaven. Because time isn't a thing there. Everybody that's ever going to be there is there. 
Now, does that mean it's already decided for us? No. It gets kind of complicated, doesn't it? (laughs) We have not been saved by works of the law. We have been saved by Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Then Paul goes on, verse 17. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ. So, okay. So if we're trying to live out, okay, so how do we live now, right? What do we do? If, if I'm already saved, I mean, do I just do what I want? Oh, I'm, I'm getting too far ahead. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? All right. So if I say none of my sin counts against me. I am seen in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then I go kick a kidney cat and I steal a hubcap. Am I now showing that Jesus, whom I am in, promotes sin? No. Because I'm still here. And He still gives me freedom to choose to live however I want to live. I'm still right here in the flesh. Just like he was. But he is not saying he wants me to do it. Okay, so one of my kids is one of my kids. Sorry. He does something I don't want him to do. Like throw a screwdriver into his foot. Ah! This happened. This is the launch of Levi's... Uh, guitar career. When he does something that I don't want him to do, is he still my son? He is. When he does something I don't want him to do, does it make me look like a bad father? Okay, in this case, yes. Because I taught him how to throw screwdrivers into the ground. Hey, quit nodding. My wife is nodding. If I try to live for Jesus because I am in Christ and I fail at it, that does not mean that Jesus loves it when I sin. It also does not mean that I am no longer in Christ. I am still in Christ. I just messed up. I just sinned. But that sin does not count against me. The sin does not count against me because Jesus already paid for it. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. All right, now this is really good. If I wear the same sweatshirt for too many days and it smells bad, and my wife says, Woo, Sully, that sweatshirt, and she takes it and she washes it and she dries it and it's like fabric softened and it's really nice and it smells really good and I go out and I work in the yard and I'm all hot and sweaty and I come in the house and I'm chilled there's that beautiful soft yummy smelling sweatshirt and I am covered in uh, fertilizer we'll say but you know what I mean and sweat from the garden Do I want to put that on when I consider the goodness of that soft and fuzzy and good smelling sweatshirt? Heck no, I don't want to put that on. I'm going to go get a shower. 
If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What happens if I put that sweatshirt on and I make it all sweaty again? Do we get a divorce? No. She shakes her head at me. Maybe. But at the end of the day, we're going to take that sweatshirt, we're going to wash it, we're going to fabric soften it, we're going to dry it, and it's going to be all fluffy and wonderful again. If I rebuild what I tore down, all I did was prove that I smell bad. And that my wife knows how to wash my sweatshirt. If I am in Christ and all of my sins are forgiven... And I go out and I just sin and sin and sin. When I come back to Jesus, all I do is prove that I'm a man that needs a Savior. I need Jesus. I've just proven more than ever how much I need Him and how much I need to depend on Him. So a lot of people in church history have thought, we can't tell people that they can go out and do whatever they want. We can't tell them that all their sins are forgiven forever because if we tell them, then they'll go out and do a whole bunch of crazy stuff and they'll be totally out of control. So we have the oven on. They have the stovetop on. The cast iron skillet is hot. And I say, you can put your hand on that skillet that's red hot. Anybody in their right mind thinks, why would I want to do that? When I think about Jesus and that he died for all of my sins, that he has completely washed me clean, when I think of him, why would I want to go against that? Why would I want to destroy that? That's where, that's the new relationship that we're in with Jesus. Under the law, the law was a thing that would, that would show you and expose you what you did wrong to show you how much you needed God. But now we're free from the law. And we live by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us to remind us of Jesus. And so I don't not put on the sweatshirt because if I put on the sweatshirt, my wife's going to divorce me or I'll get struck by lightning, right? I don't not steal the hubcap because if I steal the hubcap, the whole earth's going to open up and swallow me and I'll die or God's going to hate me. I don't put on the sweatshirt when I'm all sweaty because I love my wife and I don't want to trash what she's done. I don't steal the hubcap because I know that that hubcap belongs to somebody that God loves and I don't want to take it from them to make them upset. The Holy Spirit is now working in me to do it. But if I mess up, He's already paid for it. It's phenomenal. So it's okay to say your sins are forgiven because it's true. It's okay to say, as long as you say it in the right context and you understand what's going on, it's okay for you to do whatever you want. Because when the Holy Spirit is in you, what you want 
is what Jesus wants. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When Jesus Christ was put on that cross, all of your sins were upon him. And if you are in Christ, where were you on Good Friday? You were on that cross. Your sinful rebel against God nature was in Christ dying. And you died. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who came out of that tomb on Easter morning? Jesus. Which means that if you are in Christ... It says it in Romans, it says it in 1 Corinthians. You will be raised with Him. You are raised with Him. This is what we celebrate when we do baptism. It's a picture of dying in Christ and coming back to life. Now, does He totally give you the freedom to chuck all of that and be stupid and kick the cat and steal the hubcap? He gives you that freedom, which is crazy. That's how much he loves you. He doesn't want you to be a mindless, mind-controlled robot. He wants you to really love him. He wants you to really love him. And you really can as we live this way, right? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And that is just a punch-in-the-face statement of this chapter. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So my sons will come back and they'll talk about somebody that they talked to on campus or at a restaurant or at a church they went to or whatever. And they'll say, well, they said that you have to blank to blank. And I'll go, oh, so they don't believe in Jesus. And they're like, well, no, it's a church. I'm like, if Christ, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If there is anything you can do, if any, this is where Paul says, if anybody preaches a gospel other than my gospel, then they can go to the bad place. If righteousness could be achieved by anything that you do any of your works, then Jesus just didn't do a good enough job. And we know that's not true. We know, I mean, we just sang it. Jesus paid it all. He paid the whole thing. When I was a kid growing up, I thought that I would just barely get into heaven just by just my fingernails on the ridge if I could do enough good things. You know how miserable a life that is? That is a miserable life. If this is the ledge, do you know where Jesus has put me? Jesus has put me like in Florida. He has saved you 
so mightily, so far beyond. This is in Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So, with all of that said, as we go about things, gosh, what a free feeling we have. What, you know, I might not be good enough uh, making widgets out of doohickeys at the plant. I might not be good enough digging a ditch deep enough or far enough or fast enough. But I am justified before God, before the God of heaven. It is totally normal for me to go before him. Totally acceptable for me to go before him because of faith in Jesus. And from that, he's going to show me and teach me how to live, what to do. Should I eat bacon? Should I not? Should I steal the hubcap? Should I not? And not by works of the law. And guess what? If I do everything right, I am not more righteous. Than if I did everything wrong, I am not more righteous. Because my righteousness isn't based on how much I can bench press. It's based on Jesus. And it's full. It's total. It's total righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Not a part of the righteousness of God. Not some of the righteousness of God. In Christ you are the righteousness of God. I could go on all day, but I'm going to stop. (laughs) It's true, you guys. Um, No no sin can be counted against us. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't say there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus that went to church every Sunday and always wore a tie and never said dang or anything worse than dang. No, there is no condemnation. Your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you, in your brilliance and in your pleasure, like you enjoyed doing this, you took away our sins and you put your very own self into us. And you made sin just not even count anymore. And you just made life count. And you made, you made our relationship with you count. Lord, may we grasp this and digest it. And may it become the most real thing in our souls every single day. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing.